Hello and welcome to Strange Sound, episode 5 of Strange Sound. 5. Just 5. No zero after the 5. Welcome back. Yeah, it's been quite a week. Um, confined to home because of the coronavirus, working from home, that sort of thing. Been a little crazy, a little strange, feeling very strange about this. I mentioned last week, um, this is one of the strangest periods I've ever gone through, and I'm sure that's true of pretty much anyone listening to this. So, odd times indeed. What better time than to launch a podcast? God knows. Little else to do these days but listen to podcasts, that sort of thing. And here we are. Um, anyway, standard disclaimer. The opinions expressed on Strange Sound are mine and mine alone. No one else's unless I attribute an idea to someone else, which happens very much because... Again, I'm not a genius. I just make observations and other. I leave the genius business to other people. Um, this is just my view, and for what it's worth, here it goes, just pushing it out there. There we go. This week on Strange Sound, I'm going to take a look at a little issue that came up in the um, recent nomination fight for the Democratic Party presidential uh, nomination. Um, it's an issue that has to do with the island of Cuba, 90 miles off of our southern coast. And a certain fellow named Bernie Sanders, who um, made the unforgivable error of praising some aspect of Cuban society um, without first turning himself inside out, um, decrying how horrible and decrepit the Cuban regime is and how it's way beyond the pale and it's worse than anything that has ever existed. Um, I have to say, uh, the degree to which people in the media... Um, people who should probably know better, um, famous people, supposedly kind of smart people were, um, just unloading on Sanders over this comment, um, which is actually roughly equivalent to what Barack Obama had said a few years earlier. Um, you can look that up. That's out there somewhere. I'm not going to I'm not going to give you a provenance on that, so don't trust me. Just look it up. But, uh, yeah, Bernie basically said what he has said many times, which is that the Cuban government had um, a decent education system compared to other similar countries. And I think... That was the point, but I'm not going to speak for Bernie. I'm just going to speak for myself. And what I saw fall out of that was people literally tearing their hair out, particularly when Bernie was a bit ahead in the primary race, when he was doing pretty well, when he was 
winning in, or at least pulling even in Iowa, winning in New Hampshire, winning convincingly in Nevada. People were really going crazy over this thing. Uh, Particularly folks like Chris Matthews on MSNBC. Everyone's heard this story. He was on an edition of uh, Chris Hayes' show uh, on the night of the New Hampshire primary um, and had this meltdown about Sanders um, being a communist. Matthews talking about how he had lived through the Cold War, how he had been a political operative through the Cold War. And if the Cubans had had their way, if they had won the Cold War, as if the United States was fighting a Cold War with Cuba, <laughs> that that Cuba was like trying to take over the United States. But his, his um, tirade went into... Um, how if Cuba had won the Cold War against the United States and had taken over the the United States, that he would have been executed, that he, Chris Matthews, would have been executed in Central Park, and he was implying that people like Bernie Sanders would be there pulling the trigger or cheering them on as they pulled the trigger, which was a pretty outrageous thing to say on national television. And that wasn't exactly what uh, caused Matthews to uh, retire a couple of weeks later, but it certainly was an indication that he was about ready to go. That wasn't the only thing he said about Sanders. That was kind of execrable, but that's the one that I'm sort of focusing on today just for the sake of the discussion about Cuba. And obviously Cuba is considered a third rail in American politics, uh, particularly since most presidential candidates covet the state of Florida and they see Florida as key to their victory. And the conventional wisdom is that you can't win Florida without uh, stomping all over Cuba Uh, because of the Cuban exile community in the Miami area. Um, And that's still partly true, but it's not as true as it was like 30 years ago or even 20 years ago because the generations are beginning to change over a bit. Um, And the older guard is, is slowly fading away just like the old guards always do. Um, And, you know, America moves forward on certain issues. The confrontation with Cuba um, ended up being at the center of the Democratic nomination battle for some strange reason. Why we were talking about this, I don't know, except that it was seen as a convenient way of targeting Bernie Sanders as being part of the counterculture, the new left And that's not inaccurate. Bernie Sanders is not a careerist politician like most of the people that get that close to the presidency. Not by a long shot. He's more from the activist tradition. He's probably the only major party candidate that I can think of that 
wasn't part of the sort of liberal establishment or the, you know, the reaction to the liberal establishment within the Democratic Party, like the Democratic Leadership Conference, the uh, Bill Clinton squad, um, but the liberal, sort of muscular liberal establishment that started the Vietnam War, you know, um, or at least the American phase of it, that sort of tradition. He was never a part of that. He was more from the protesters against the Vietnam War. That's more his tradition. He was more on the side of resistance than the side of the establishment. And I think that's why they kind of look at him through a microscope, uh, that they sort of cringe when he walks into the room. He just isn't a member of the club. Look at what Hillary Clinton said about him recently. You know, nobody likes him. Well, she means no one that she knows or that she cares about likes him. Of course not. That's because he represents a threat to those people. He represents a threat to the sort of neoliberal consensus. He represents a threat beyond politics, just sort of from a career standpoint. Um the kind of careerist Democrats that see any insurgent candidate as a threat. Well, there's no insurgent more insurgent than Bernie Sanders. And, you know, now that it looks like Biden has it more or less sewn up because of the enormous boost that he got from the party itself and and so many public figures within the party, and also just the dynamics of this race, um, that general tendency towards just wanting to get rid of Trump on the Democratic side rather than being overly concerned with policy. Now that that's um, closer to being settled, it seems, and that Sanders is, is basically a very narrow path to being the nominee if it's, a, if it's even possible it's hard to conceive that he could win at this point. But um, now that that is the case, and because of the coronavirus, um, they don't really talk about him very much anymore. Um, they had their hair on fire there for about three weeks. And they used Cuba to bludgeon him with because he has a history of you know, being sympathetic to revolutionary movements. Um, in the last debate with Joe Biden, he, um, Joe Biden actually threw not only Cuba at him, but the Sandinistas at him, the Nicaraguan Sandinistas, which of course, um, Bernie Sanders supported back in the eighties when they were being attacked by a terror army funded and promoted and actually created by our own government. Um, the Contras, um, which, of course, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Biden voted to defund. So I'm not sure where he's coming from on that issue. But again, he's part of the liberal consensus, just like Hillary Clinton is. And they sort of, you know, laid down their arms and they joined the other side 
at the end of the Reagan administration. They basically were like, well, the Cold War is over. We won, you know, uh, communism was wrong. Every revolutionary movement was wrong. To hell with Cuba. A lot of people have strong feelings about Cuba, particularly um, Cuban exile community, and particularly in Florida. Uh, but not only there. A lot of people are embittered by it. And it's understandable. Uh, people lost property. People lost relatives. Uh, separation um, from their families. You know, there's there's a gulf there. And the narrative around Cuba is pretty skewed. It's not hard to to figure this out. If you see this being discussed on network television or on cable, um, mainstream television, what you're going to see is a really uphill battle for anyone who is trying to take a nuanced position or some position that that doesn't like rip Cuba down, that doesn't target Cuba as like beyond the pale. I mean, as I was saying before, people on mass market television, commercial television, were comparing Cuba to Nazi Germany during the three weeks that they were attacking Sanders uh, relentlessly over this. Nazi Germany. Now, the Cuban Revolution did have violence. A lot of revolutions do. There's absolutely no question. The Cuban government does not brook dissent very easily. I mean, you can you can criticize that. You can criticize their authoritarian tendencies. But the thing that I've always tried to remind people of with respect to Cuba is that A, Cuba was not a peaceful um, democracy full of smiling people prior to Castro. Cuba was a plantation prior to Castro. Cuba was a plantation under the management of the United States and a United States installed and supported dictator named Batista. Um, it was a plantation with casinos shot through um, with the American mob. And uh, that's, you know, anyone who's seen The Godfather knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's, a, it's a matter of public record. It's pretty simple. Um, the Cubans got rid of them. And they had a revolution. They came to the United States. They looked for support from the United States for the revolution. They got turned back. They turned to Mexico. Um, Mexico got essentially threatened by the United States um, not to do business with them. So they couldn't do business with Mexico. They couldn't do business with the United States. They couldn't do business with Europe. Um, the United States basically cut them off and began a they began an attack on Cuba that has lasted 
six decades. It has literally lasted my entire life. I'm 60. I was born in 1959. I'm almost 61, actually. And uh, 1959 was when the Cuban Revolution happened. Um, And they have been under sanction and under attack, including an invasion by the United States, um, including a terror campaign, assassination campaign against their leadership, you name it chemical warfare, biological warfare. We have stomped all over Cuba. And as a, as a result of that, nothing is, nothing is completely simple, right? But one of the reasons why Cuba is a garrison state is that it's been under relentless attack from a superpower, the most powerful country in the world, 90 miles to their north a country that occupies a large base on the island of Cuba. It's called Guantanamo. So if you don't think that's intimidating, think again. And honestly, Cuba has been under the gun my entire life. So it's not surprising to me that they would be um, a little nervous about dissent a little nervous about about political openness. It's hard to prove a counterfactual, so we don't really know what would have happened in Cuba if the United States had, you know, welcomed them with open arms in 1959 and had a constructive relationship with them. Who knows? Who knows? I think, though, the other piece of this is The meaningful comparison is not between Cuba and the United States. Cuba is a small country. It's about 11 million people. It's poor. It's been embargoed for 60 years. It's been attacked. The United States is the richest country in the world. We have all the resources. We have strong institutions. Um... We, you can't compare the two countries. It's not a meaningful comparison. What you can compare is Cuba and one of the countries that didn't go the way of Cuba, like Guatemala, like El Salvador, like Honduras, like Colombia. Now, you can't tell me that you would have a better life in Guatemala than you would have in Cuba. If someone gave me the choice of being born in one of those two countries, I don't think I have to tell you that I'd rather be born in Cuba. At least they have universal health care. At least they don't have a crushing drug trade. At least they didn't have to go through a massive civil war that killed over 100,000 people. You know, financed and pushed forward by the United States. Guatemala is an example of a country that that the United States kept from having a revolution. In Cuba, they failed. So in other words, Cuba is disliked here because Cuba took something from us that we loved very much. That thing was Cuba. It took Cuba back from the United States. That's why we hate them.
has nothing to do with communism. It has to do with independent development. It wouldn't matter what kind of system they had. If they did not play ball with us, if they did not let us penetrate their economy and basically run their lives, we would still hate them. Absolutely no question. Now, I know it's a risky business in politics to say good things about Cuba. There's plenty of bad things you can say about it, just like any country. Every country has its problems. Every country has its shortcomings and its failings. Every country has its crimes. But Cuba has Cuba has a history that it can be proud of in certain respects. One of those respects is the degree to which it has reached out and helped other countries, other developing nations over the years. I can recommend uh, people read a couple of books by, I'm going to murder this guy's name. He's, he has a, uh, I believe he's a Brazilian, ethnic Brazilian maybe. Um, his name is Pero Giesis. I'm really murdering his name. He's a uh, historian, and he wrote a couple of books about Cuba in Africa and basically Cuba's conflict with the United States um, over Africa. And uh, one of them was named Conflicting Missions, I believe. That was the first book uh, that was more generally about about uh, Cuba in Africa. Um during the 1960s and the 1970s, um, he picks up the story of Cuba in Angola um, in this uh, second volume in that series, which is called Visions of Freedom, which um, covers the period um, of from the late 70s during the Carter administration into the Reagan administration and through... Um, through the fall of the Soviet Union and just after, um, I think pretty much up till 1990. And it's a fascinating story about um, a developed country, supposedly, you know, under the shadow of the Soviet Union and the Soviet Empire, but that had deployed troops to defend. Angola against attack from the South Africans in defiance in a certain respect of the Soviets. The Soviets did not agree with the Cuban approach to this policy, not at all. But Castro and his, uh, his compatriots um, pushed it forward. And they insisted on it. Their mission was to keep Angola independent and they succeeded. And the other thing they succeeded at was giving the South African resistance movement enough breathing space to bring apartheid to an end much faster than it would have otherwise. Cuba, perhaps more than any other country, played an important role in the history of South Africa and Southern Africa more generally in the independence of Namibia, in the independence of Angola, and in the uh, eventual fall of apartheid. That's why um, when Mandela died, 
Um, Raul Castro was such an honored guest at his funeral. Um, people were kind of scratching their heads over that. And there was a reason for that. They, uh, they are very grateful to the Cubans for what they've done in Southern Africa at a tremendous cost, a tremendous cost to, to them. Also just, you know, sending cadres of medical workers, doctors, um, healthcare workers all over the world, a lot to Africa. They're even doing it now. And during the um, coronavirus, they're sending doctors to Italy to help them fight the coronavirus. They were expelled from Brazil. I just heard this story on uh, Democracy Now! today, actually. Uh, they had corn blue on there from the nation. And Brazil expelled them just to butter up Trump, apparently. Uh, Bolsonaro was interested in demonstrating what a great anti-communist he is. But uh, I think he's rethinking it now that... Uh, now that the coronavirus is ripping its way through Brazil. So anyway, a little far afield, but my point is, like every nation, Cuba has a lot um, a lot of stains on its history, like every single nation. But it's also got it's got things that it can be proud of. And that's that's just a fact. Um Comparing them with Nazi Germany is ludicrous. Sure, they've got an oppressive system in some respects, but compared to a lot of their South American, South Central American, Caribbean neighbors, not too bad. So, one of the reasons why uh, Chris Matthews and Whoopi Goldberg and other television personalities made such a big deal out of Cuba is, well, it's a political gambit. They're attacking Bernie Sanders for being part of the, of the left, for being a person on the left. And that's the easiest thing to reach for. And uh, that's what that was all about. Some crazy shit. Anyway, that's all I got for this episode of Strange Sound, episode five. That's all I got to say about that. Well, thanks for listening to Strange Sound once again. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about it. By all means, um, contact me on Twitter at Strange Sound Pod, all one word. There's ways that you can contact me um, at our Strange Sound page on anchor.fm, anchor.fm slash strange sound. Um, you can find me there. You can, uh, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with me. So please give me your feedback, share the show, comment on it, like it if you like it, hate it if you hate it. Haters going to hate. Um, share it. Tell your friends. Give it a listen. Listen to some of the uh, past episodes as well. I hope you enjoy it. 
uh, I'd love to have a conversation with anybody who wants to talk about this stuff. That would be great. Just reach out and contact me. And that's it for this episode. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time.